Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of Graphically Speaking. I'm Jeff. And I'm Noi. In this show, Nori and I talk about a graphic novel. We specifically look for certain literary conventions as part of one of her class assignments. This time, we're talking about Castle Waiting, The Curse of Brambley Hedge. This is a graphic novel from 1996 by Linda Medley. When I say by, I mean everything. She wrote, drew, colored the covers, and even published this book herself. In 1997, The Curse of Bramley Hedge won an Eisner Award, an important recognition within the comic book industry. The edition we read was the 1999 second printing, which contains a lot of neat supplemental materials, such as biographies of the magical characters, writing prompts for younger readers, suggested reading lists, and more. It's really a neat package. This graphic novel was followed up with the Castle Waiting series, also produced by Medley, and taking place long after most of the events of this story. Nori, will you please tell us what The Curse of Brambley Hedge is about? The town of Putney is a happy place. Putney is a port city. It's ruled by a king and queen. The merchants are prosperous. The population of the town is made up of humans and other evolved animals. King and queen are sad because they have no child. The king goes to a college full of good wishes to find Mother Medora. Mother Medora is preparing something. He thinks it must be something magic, but it's just topic for the little ones. The king wants her help to make the queen pregnant. Mother Medora says it cost $600. Currency of the realm because of the difficulty. So start the queen wants some tea and basic charms. Around noon, the queen should go to a special pond and bathe alone. She should carefully notice everything there. While Mother Medora is giving instructions, a little creature is on the windowsill who's dropping. His name is Leeds. A different part of the forest is another witch. She practices black magic. The little demon from Mother Medora's cottage is there to tell Maud, the witch, what happened with the king. Maud thinks that she's the best witch and wonders why his royal magic would go to Medora. Maud knows that she can't make a real baby. Leeds suggests they just go and ask Medora. Maud thinks it's a wonderful idea. Her royal majesty goes to the pond at the right time. The water is cold. A frog talks to her. Knowing that frog is sometimes used by witches as they're familiars, she listens to the frog. She learns that she'll have a baby within the year. Maud has Leeds on a leash. They're going to Medora's, but Leeds can't go any farther because it's some kind of protective circle that he can't cross. Maud can cross it, though, because she's expected. Maud confronts Medora, so that no one can make a baby. Medora has been learning and practicing more magic, while Maud has been busy sneaking around and spying on people. Maud thinks that she could just use a changeling to be the baby. Medora is not going for it, and Medora kicks her out of the cottage. The queen has a baby girl. They name her Medora, after Mother Medora. The king and queen throw a feast for the daughter and the witches. Maud is not invited. The witches eat off of gold play settings made for each of them. Everyone in Putney is really happy except for Malt who sneaks into the party. At the feast, each of the witches has a special gift for the princess. Mindy goes first. Mindy's gift is that the princess will always have good things to eat. Massa's gift is that she'll never be scared. Maggie says that she'll have lots of friends and Maggie says that she'll never have to do chores. Theory says that she'll be strong. Malice says that she'll be charming. Melissa says that she'll be beautiful. Millie says that she'll be generous. 
Moi says that she'll be obedient. Marge says that she'll be happy. And Mercy says that she'll be graceful. <laughs> Maud walks into the room with leads. Sneering sarcastically, she places a curse on the baby that she will receive all of her sister's gifts, but only for 15 years. On Yamadora's 15th birthday, she'll prick her finger on a spindle and drop dead. Everyone is scared, including the baby. Ma leaves saying that uh, changing brought them less pain. Later, as the great heart empties, the royals think the baby is protected by Mother Midoriya's magic. Mother Midoriya agrees, but says that the 15-year-old princess, young Midoriya, will come, won't be protective. The king asks for the curse to be removed. Mother Midoriya says that she can't remove a death's curse, but may be able to sharpen it. Mala says that Malt's curse includes all of the gifts the sisters gave. But Mother Medora hasn't given her gift. Mother Medora changes the curse so that the princess will fall into a deep slumber for a hundred years when she pricks her finger and will be wakened by a prince who is her true love. The queen asks if there is any other way, and the queen declares that spinning is illegal and anyone who does it will be put to death. He also orders all spinning wheels currently in existence to be burned. Later, Mother Medora brings Stiltskin to the king. Stiltskin has agreed to come to kingdom once a year and spend enough yarn for the entire kingdom in one night. As payment, he demands the queen showers first. The king pulls Stiltskin's ear and the imp changes his demand to a sack of silver. The king asks Mother Medora if Stiltskin can be trusted. And she replies that he is okay, even though his old habits are hard to get rid of. Outside the town, Maud boasts Leeds about how burning the spinning wheels will not change your curse at all. Lee scolds Maud about cursing an innocent baby. Maud yells back that she did not curse a baby, but instead cursed a 15-year-old. Leeds points out that if Maud had told him what she was up to, he would have talked her out of it. Maud responds that she's very glad that she didn't tell Leeds what she was up to, that she has every right to revenge, and that nothing can stop her. Two nights later, at a cottage, Mother Medora swats a burning sigil in her front yard for the third time that week. She tells her sister that the town folks are burning the sigils and the next step will be, be lighting the coven themselves on fire. Mother Medora orders her sisters to start packing to move so they can start some over someplace new. Melly asks Mother Medora what Mother Medora's gift to Prince of Restore would have been, and Mother Medora says wisdom. Chapter 2 Princess Medora wakes up on her 15th birthday. Medora's handmaidens joke around with her about a suitor she doesn't like. One handmaiden mentions that Medora's parents, the king and queen, are not back yet from the trip. Medora expresses sadness, worry, and disappointment because they had promised to be back by her birthday. Far away from the castle, the king and queen's coach has tipped over into a ditch. Sid, the driver, tells the lawyers that the coach seemed to have just leapt off the road. The king expresses the need to get home quickly. The queen mentions that this is the ninth time they've been delayed on the journey, and she feels as if they're cursed. Under the carriage, leads is smiling mischievously. In the sky of the castle, Maud excitedly rides Opinicus, a griffin, to claim that it is a beautiful day for killing, showing off a spindle. 
Upon the arrival at the big tower, Oakpinicus tells Maud that they are now even, that this is the last time he'll, he will carry Maud on his back. Maud likes that she will soon be better than the devil of the master. Oakpinicus says that she is a fool to say so. Princess Medora and her handmaids are singing in the hallways of the castle, on the way to the great hall to, to meet Mr. Butamon, the steward, and they see Count Cristobal, one of Medora's unwanted suitors. Medora suggests that they hide in the tower until he leaves. Back into the carriage, Queen holds up a watch, which is a gift from young Medora. Then notices that Medora already be awake. The king wishes that Mother Medora was still around. In the back of the carriage, Leeds jumps off because his work is done. In a room in the big tower, Maud disguises herself as an old spinner and begins to use the spindle as she waits for Medora. Medora and her handmaidens find Maud. Medora begins to feel the effects of the curse, and when Maud offers the spindle to Medora, Medora reaches out and puts her hand on the sharp edge of the spindle. She immediately falls unconscious. Handmaidens move Medora to the bed and plan to get help while Maud makes her escape. Unfortunately, the handmaidens soon join Medora in her cursed sleep. Meanwhile, Maud gloats during her escape, but realizes that she is writing not a pinnacus, but a magic bomb shaped like a griffin. Outside the castle walls, Reed sees Maud go up in a fiery explosion. Marks that he loses friends this way a lot, then bounces away. In the castle, a boy named Jeffrey tells Mr. Butchmon that the king and queen are back in Putney. Why, Mr. Butchmon, because the princess and her handmaidens have not been found. Mr. Butchmon orders Jeffrey to immediately go find them because they already be in trouble. In the streets of Putney, the king and queen are stalled because people are celebrating the princess's birthday. The queen feels that something terrible has happened to the daughter, and the king tells Sid, the driver, to step on it. They hurry through the crowds towards the castle. Inside the castle, Mr. Butchmon hears a consistent rumble that gets louder and louder. Jeffrey wants to say that everyone in the pa- castle is falling asleep. Then he and Butchmon fall under the curse as well. As the people in the castle all fall asleep, the king and queen waste towards the castle gates as a giant bramble bush bursts out of the ground. The royal carriage crashes into the rainbows, breaking the carriage into many pieces and killing the king, queen, Sid, and the horses. Soon after, in the surrounding town, the people began to believe that the village was cursed, took whatever they could carry, and left. Eventually, the town of Putney came overgrown and fell into ruin, become a legendary haunted castle. Finally, our last chapter, Chapter 3. One hundred years later, multiple princes have tried to get through the bramble to break the curse on Mrs. Medora, but they've all died in the thorns. Now a new prince heads into the brambles with feet on his side. The thorns parting in front of him, letting him pass on her. As the prince enters the gate of the town, he sees everyone in the courtyard fast asleep and, and unaged. The curse compels the prince to go up into the big tower and find the princess. He kisses her which wakes them all up. They seem to fall in love at first sight. The prince asks the princess to marry him and she says, Okay. And they ask each other simultaneously, What's your name? Soon everyone in the castle wakes up. In the tower, the handmaidens are wondering why Medora is kissing a guy. And she introduces her handmaidens to the prince. Her name is Hans. At least it's not Prince Hans of the Seven Isles, huh? <laughs> Medora explains that Hans saved her, they're in love, and will be getting married having many children. 
Handmaidens feel that she's acting very odd. I want to find Mr. Butterman. In the courtyard, castle residents are surprised that they have been asleep for 100 years, that the king, queen, and the town are gone. Prince Prince Dora and Prince Hans arrive in the courtyard to get Mr. Butterman's attention. The princess gives a big speech about how fate brought them together as important figures in history. The townsfolk are very confused. Medora announces that she'll be leaving right now with Hans and does so on his horse. The castle residents are speechless. They wonder what will happen now. A long, long, long time later, the handmaidens, patience, prudence, and plenty, tell a story to a bird-faced man whom they call Mr. Adjutant. The now elderly handmaidens tell him that the castle residents stayed in the castle because they did not have anywhere else to go. Over time, the people came to the castle because of the legends, and some stayed in the castle became a refuge. The handmaidens are now the only original residents still living in the castle, and they hired Mr. Rackham, adjutant, to take Mr. Butterman's place now that he is dead. They are waiting for a king to live in the castle again. Thank you, Nori. I love this story a lot. What did you think of it? Um, it was pretty good. So the basic plot of this book is similar to a very famous fairy tale. It is a different version of the story Sleeping Beauty. That's right. The original version of this story was written by Giambattista Basile and published in 1634 with the name Briar Rose. The brothers Grimm rewrote the story in 1812. The version that probably most well known is the 1959 anime movie from Disney. What other fairy tale has a small tie-in with this book? Rumpelstiltskin. His fairy tale sometime in the 16th century. Also mentioned is the tortoise and the hare. That particular story is one of what are called Aesop's fables. Aesop lived in Greece roughly 600 years BCE. The stories he told were passed down orally and weren't collected until some 300 years after he died. That's impressive! Yeah. Uh, Nori, why do you think Linda Medley wrote this story? I don't know. It just seems like a fun story. That she wrote it for fun. Well, I'm sure it was fun, but why do you think use such a, a familiar story uh, as the basis for hers? Maybe because it's familiar. But she also added a few twists. Like, for example, instead of fairies, there are witches. Okay. And instead of someone trying to get revenge, like Maleficent did, Maud's not trying to get revenge. She's just being plain old evil. Well, no, Maud is trying to get revenge because she feels slighted. Mm-hmm. Because she considered herself the most powerful witch in the land. Mm-hmm. But, but Ma- the king and queen went to Mother Medora instead. Mm-hmm. One of the main things we normally look for when we're going over these graphic novels is character development. But we kind of came up right this time. The Curse of Bramley Hedge is much more about a plot than character growth. Princess Medora grows literally from a baby to a teenager, but we don't see her grow as a person. There are still conflicts in this story, particularly in Chapter 1. What are the two big conflicts of this book? Maud and Mother Medora are at odds because the king asked Mother Medora for help in making the queen pregnant. Maud thinks that she should have been asked first, but also thinks that neither of which can actually help make a real baby. Medora is sure that she can help, though, because she's been studying magic through the years when Maud spent more time on snooping around. Maud suggests that they should trick the royal couple. 
shows that she is devious and not trustworthy. Marilyn Medora shows that she is truthful and self-confident by rejecting Maud's plans and kicking her out of the home she shares with the younger witches. The other conflict is when Maud curses Medora. She does this out of spite because she is rude and murderous. Medora can't cancel the curse completely, but alters it so that the princess will live but fall asleep until awoken by a kiss of true love. There weren't any examples of personification that we could find in the story, but there were metaphors, similes, and hyperbole. Let's start with that last one. Maud tells Opinicus, After today, I'll ride the devil himself as my steed, and he'll be happy for the privilege. Okay. What do you think she meant by that? Why is it hyperbole? She's exaggerating that she will rule the bad guys, that she'll be the top bad guy after this, completely, and that the devil will just bow down to her. Okay. about our similes? The first one was in the narration and told us that in Putney, life was as easy as an old shoe. What do you think that meant? I think it meant that life was great. That life went really well, and there wasn't many conflicts. Okay, but why is that a simile? Because of the word like. Sorry, as in. Yes, but... You're comparing life to an old shoe. Why is it like an old shoe? Because you love... Because some people like their old shoes a lot. Why do they like their old shoes? Either they still fit comfortably, or they just like how they look and feel. Okay, so it's probably a matter of comfort then, Mm -hmm. right? What's the next simile? One thing which is, Mussy makes a gift to the baby Medora by saying, she'd be as graceful as a fawn. Oh, that's nice. What's the next one? When Maud is bragging about completing her curse, she says, just like a spider, I'll find the perfect spot, spin a web, then catch some flies. I wouldn't want to be one of those flies. I agree. (laughs) What's the last simile? It's like the coach just leapt off the road, Sid says after the royal coach goes into a ditch. We start our metaphors with Mother Medora saying, And so the tortoise passes the hare. What does she mean by that? It means that she was persistent in her magical studies, but Mauld was not. Yeah, good. What does Mauld have to say? She says, I've been insulted. My reputations have been tarnished. When they're having problem after problem returning to the castle for young Medora's birthday, the queen tells the queen, it's as if we were cursed! She says that as a metaphor, but what's the truth? They actually are cursed. They definitely are. Because Leech the Demons is causing all of their problems. Leech the Demon seems to serve Bald willingly and enjoys causing trouble. Opinicus the Griffin only helped Mauld out of obligation, and he gives her a warning that's a metaphor. He tells her, you egos left you blind, deaf, and stupid. What he's saying is that she is being reckless. Prudence, one of the handmaidens, tells another handmaiden, don't crap out now, Patience. What did she mean? She means that Patience should not go to sleep, but she had to because of how Mother Medora changed Maud's guts. Finally, the king tells his driver, step on it, which means... Hurry up! Yep. This is a good spot to transition into something that's not part of your actual school assignment, but it's good to pay attention to in stories that take place in the past. I'm talking about anachronisms. An anachronism is something that is inconsistent 
to the time in which a story takes place. For The Curse of Bramley Hedge, we can guess that it takes place towards the end of the Middle Ages, with the first two chapters perhaps being in the 13th or 14th centuries. Why is Step On It an anachronism? Because step on it means to step on the gas pedal of a vehicle. And there weren't any gas pedal carriages back then. Step on it became a saying sometime in the 1920s. Another anachronism that appeared in the metaphors was, Don't crap out now. Craps is a dice game. The game it evolved from, Hazard, may date back to the 13th century or even earlier. But craps didn't come into being until the early 19th century in the United States. To crap out is to lose by rolling a total of 2, 3, or 12 on the first roll of the dice, which is an automatic loss. The term has come to mean quitting a project early. What's another anachronism, Nori? When the carriage is stuck, the king says we need to get rolling. A-S-A-P. What does ASAP mean? As soon as possible! Yep, and the first known usage of that is from 1954. Our final one is a double anachronism. <gasps> the handmaidens sing a version of the birthday song to Princess Medora that includes the lyrics, You live in a zoo. What's wrong with that, temporally speaking? I'm to start with, the first zoo didn't open until 1794. So they would never have heard of one. Second, the Happy Birthday song was written until even later, 1859. That's right. Good job. Let's wrap up this time with denotation and connotation. Denotation is the dictionary definition of a word. Connotation deals with how a word makes you feel. Mauled thinks they should have given a changeling to the king and queen. What is a changeling? A changeling is a magical creature substituted for the real baby. Mr. Burdeman and later Mr. Adjutant are the stewards of the castle. In this case, what is a steward? A steward is someone who is hired to look after someone else's house. In the story, the house is the castle. What is a sanctuary? A place where someone can take shelter. Yes, there can also be sanctuaries for creatures. I like those best. We don't live far from a bird sanctuary. That means the birds there are safe from people and to some extent from other predators. The bird man at the end of the story is Mr. Adjutant. It's both his name and a job description. What is an adjutant? An adjutant is an assistant to help someone in charge. Yes, good job. Now on to connotations. The first word is irresistible. Something irresistible can't be ignored or avoided. I think it's a neutral word. Overpower means the same thing but feels negative. Fascinating is a positive synonym. Your next word is horrified. Ah! That means to be scared or frightened. It feels negative to me and I couldn't find anything that felt positive or neutral. Two synonyms are troubled and afraid. Okay, last one. Cuckoo! Someone cuckoo is acting crazy. This feels neutral to me. Silly be positive and insane is negative. Well done, Nori. That wraps up our discussion of The Curse of Brambley Hedge. I like sharing this book with you. Next time, we're going back to DC and reading a limited series called Stanley and His Monster. Thank you for listening, everybody. Until next time, be safe, have fun, read graphic novels. See you later, alligators! Graphically Speaking is a Podcastcadia production. 
Copyright 2021 by Jeff Polier and Nori Polier. Chaos awaiting in all related fictional characters, places, and things in the story are the intellectual property of Linda Medley. If you don't already own a copy of Castle Waiting, The Curse of Bramley Hedge, and would like to read it, check your local library. Want to own a copy? Ask an independent bookseller or your local comic book retailer to help. Our theme song is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. You can find out more about Graphically Speaking at www.podcastcadia.com or by searching for Podcastcadia on Facebook.